Shalom and welcome to another episode of Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz, Communications Director in Tel Aviv. So Israeli elections are once again around the corner, about 100 days away. And we're continuing our conversation on issues related to Israeli elections. Happy to be joined today by Uri Kedar. Uri Kedar is the Executive Director of Israel Chofshit, which translates to Be Free Israel, but we're not going to use the translation. <laughs> um, Uri, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. This is my first time recording a podcast. I'm usually on the other side of your podcast and other podcasts, so... Uh Really, really happy to be here. Well, uh, we're happy you're here. And what uh, Israel Chofshit uh, does is obviously very relevant to these particular elections and the circumstances they came about. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, Israel Chofshit? Yeah, so Israel Chofshit was founded in 2009. This is our 10th year operating. And we are the biggest grassroots movement working on Jewish pluralism and religion and state issues here in Israel. And I think that it's important to note that we use the term religion and state issues in a very, very broad way. So usually when I'm talking to a Jewish American audience, the first example that I give is that the way we see our issues, issues like women serving in combat units in the IDF is deeply rooted in religion and state agenda here, but also the more classic issues like marriage and divorce and conversion, issues of the public sphere on Shabbat, public transportation on Shabbat, but also issues like LGBTQ rights, women's rights, women in the public sphere, the attempts to sort of segregate men and women in the public sphere, which also created a lot of headlines in the last few days. So we view all those things as extremely connected through Israeli politics and we operate on a very large scale and, and through different methods of operation. And I, I agree with your analysis that these elections are extremely relevant and extremely connected to, to our points. Yeah, so let's start about why Israel is going to elections, or at least the reasons that Avigdor Lieberman told us why. So Avigdor Lieberman, the reason that he didn't agree to join the government was because of this ultra-Orthodox draft bill, Chokagius, which passed in the previous government on the, its first reading, and he claimed that he wanted it to pass in the second and third reading, and that would be enough for him to join the government, pretty much. Maybe let's talk about what, I mean, right now, I think most of our listeners know that ultra-Orthodox Israelis, for the most part, they don't enlist in the army. Right. What was this law like about, and what did it change? Because it wasn't a law to make all Haredim enlist. No, right? no, that sort of was never on the table, at least under the referred legislation. I think that first of all, the most important thing to know about this bill is that it's, I think, a symbol more than anything else. And everyone who's actually took a deeper look into the details of, of the proposed legislation that, as you said, already passed the first reading didn't anticipate that it would create thousands of new ultra-Orthodox soldiers joining the IDF. And as you mentioned, the ultra-Orthodox community, by large, do not go and serve in the IDF. It's also important to know, by the way, that also the vast, vast, vast majority of national religious women don't join the IDF, and that 
I mean, national religious different than ultra orthodox. Yeah, we're talking about like what we call datilumi kipasuga, and also national religious men have, or at least a large portion of them have, like specific shortened IDF recruitment periods. But that's a different topic. As far as ultra orthodox men, sort of, no one thought that this would be like a major breakthrough, and we are in this sort of cycle for over a decade now with the Supreme Court rejecting rules that happened because they were not in line with, with any sort of equality. And the basic assumption is that just as no one, no one asked me if I wanted to serve in the IDF, so that was obvious that I'm going away. Everyone I know, all my friends, went to serve. So the notion of you need to at least have some kind of explanation of why do you get a very large chunk of the community here off the hook through some kind of a legal mechanism that needed to be explained and needed to be fixed. And this latest legislation was prepared, or at least was told that it was prepared by the IDF itself. And Lieberman already, and, and he also mentioned that, got a lot of criticism for saying that it wasn't strict enough in the previous Knesset, and after the legislation passed the first reading in the previous Knesset, he said that he will not accept any form of changes or another negotiation or anything around that. But I think that we can safely say that that was a hook for not joining the coalition and actually making sure that there is no way to form a coalition. Because, yeah, I mean, if you look at the actual, uh, the, what the bill proposed, it's I think it's like an increase of a few hundred more soldiers each year. Yeah, like who, a, who, a lot of them, by the way, were probably not what we would think are ultra-Orthodox, yeah. um, and, or that the ultra-Orthodox community will think that they're ultra-Orthodox. And the actual sort of deliberation on this round was around, like, the specific mechanism of upholding that law and how do you count them and who counts them, and what happens if they don't reach the quotas that they're supposed to reach. And all of, I think, issues that might be important but are not sort of at the heart and soul of the Israeli political system in the recent years, there were years in which that was sort of a super mega issue, but that's not the case. And we also saw that Lieberman tried to use that, again, as a hook to include a lot of different religion and state issues and sort of creating this broad umbrella of saying this is what I'm saying but I actually am also referring to a few other different pieces that are not really legislative but are happening at the same time and also I think Lieberman understood it as the ultra-orthodox and the national religious parties together all three of them will be a rather major factor in the upcoming coalition Although we need to say not bigger than they used to be in the previous because it's sort of pretty much the same, that he probably thought that it wasn't going to be a coalition in which his agenda will be served. He ran, his latest campaign was ran about saying that he is both right-wing and secular, mm -hmm. emphasizing both pretty much equally. And he made a very, very unusual decision, we, as, as you already mentioned in, in your podcast, like we're in uncharted territory mm -hmm. here. This never happened. And no one believed it was going no to happen one believed until that. The, very, I, even the very last second. I yeah, think. and I also think that we were all sort of also in a, some kind of, nah, it's not going to happen, but what happens if it will happen? Like, 
it was an entire world of people saying like it can't be happening it mm-hmm. can't be happening and then it happened and here we are once I mean I we'll talk about what happened in the past few days recently with Netanyahu and Smotrich and some other people how would you say just looking back at since uh, Israel Hofshit was founded what has changed in terms of these issues in Israel we've obviously had a lot of right-wing issues governments and more recently we've had the ultra orthodoxes key components of these governments what kind of changes I mean we hear a lot in the United States about like the cartel being a major issue obviously the majority of Israelis support the issues that you're fighting for public transportation for Shabbat uh, whether it's civil marriage obviously the cartel issue is interesting because there it's it's very important for American Jews for Israeli Jews I don't know when the the last time the average Israeli is Secular Israelis visited the Kotel, so it's not... But it's obviously an issue there, and also religious pluralism as well. How would you assess the... So, I think, although I don't think we can take credit for every change that has happened in the Israeli society, although we would very much like to do that. So the last decade was extremely successful as we're talking about the sort of... the way Israelis perceive those issues. In a recent polling that we did during the last elections, meaning... Three months ago, <laughs> we found out that one out of every second, like every second Jewish person in Israel says that he already participated in a wedding outside of the rabbinute. We saw polling by the major newspapers here saying that there is a 68% support for public transportation on Shabbat, 68% support for civil marriage. This is among Jewish, right? Jewish Israelis, right? Yeah, so, so, so one of the things that we need to note is that when we're talking about religion and state issues, There are issues that are similar to both Jews and non-Jews, so also like marriage, non, yeah, so non-Jews here also don't have civil marriage. Mm-hmm. If you are an, a Muslim living in Israel, you also need to marry under Muslim law. If you're a Christian living in Israel, you need to marry through a Christian system here. And one of the things that we see again is that the Israeli public on the vast majority of those issues is trending more and more liberal. You see that through every polling, every mechanism that you can check, but we're stuck in changing the legislation itself, which is a key component. There have been a very successful sort of bypasses. So our organization now performs more than 550 weddings outside of the Rabbinate every year. There has been a constant decrease in marriages outside of the Rabbinate, according to governmental statistics. You see more and more municipalities operating public transportation on Shabbat, most recently Ramat Gan, which is a, a big city outside of Tel Aviv. Also Modi'in, Herzliya. A lot of those cities are operating buses on Shabbat by themselves. So we definitely see that there is a huge shift in public opinion, but yet not enough to create the legislative change that we are all working for. And you can safely say that this is the topic in which there is the biggest gap between Israeli political, the Israeli political system and the Israeli public. And this is sort of our work as an NGO to, to bridge that gap and to make sure that the politics follow the public. So that's sort of, I think, the general assumption of any, anyone working on, on the field. And we understand that this is the way we're heading. And also another thing that, as you mentioned, there is sort of a different prioritization system Between the topics, so as you mentioned, I don't really remember when, when was the first the last time I visited the Kotel. 
I guess when I was like joining a Jewish American group that visited this place, but <laughs> like personally, and it's not something that I, I don't have a point in not going to the court. I just, I don't go. And also what we usually discuss is that there is a huge conversation happening in the States about legislation around Israeli recognition of, of conversion, conversion happening abroad and, and what conversions would be recognized here in Israel. And usually when I talk to groups, I tell them, guys, I don't know. I have like no recollection of anyone in my close proximity as a child that I knew converted to Judaism. So I know that there, I knew that there is a concept of conversion, but it was never a thing. And like as people who are growing in a vast, vast, vast Jewish majority country, a lot of those issues are issues that we, we don't really meet on a, on a daily basis or on a personal basis. And also you can say that I think, and from every data that I know of, that Israelis by large are fine with conversions happening abroad, um, recognized, or with like everything that happened around the Kotel Compromise. But there is a, an element of making it much harder to actually mobilize people to do something around that. And both the reform and the conservative movement here are doing very good work around that. I think that they're pushing to the really beyond the limits that I would have imagined being possible, but it's still very, very hard. Unlike issues that the majority of, of American Jews have never heard of the fact that like there was a very big legislative change here, changing what is probably, I, I think it's safe to say, it's a stupid thing about who holds the authority to authorize a grocery store to open on Shabbat. Is that the mayor or the government itself? And when that happened, thousands of people marched the streets here. And you can argue, who cares? Like, who holds the authority to authorize the grocery store to open on Shabbat? But it's a very, like, for me, it's a very simple thing. I need to be able to buy diapers for my daughter. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of why I care about who holds the authority to authorize the grocery store to open Shabbat. And you saw a huge public backlash and you saw mayors fighting against the government, which is something that never happens here on a broad scale. So a lot of those issues just, I think there is a, I think that there is a basic agreement on the values on, on those issues between Israelis and the American Jewish community, but prioritizing the issues is, is very, very different. Now, a question on a political level, to what extent you're comfortable answering this, it's up to you. Someone like a Victor Lieberman, who obviously supports all these things that you guys are super in favor of, civil marriage, the supermarkets. He's very secular, priding himself on, on the secular aspect. But at the same time, he, is, he supports some policies that many consider to be very undemocratic, from the death penalty to like terrorists, issues that go more into what we're talking about, Israeli-Arab, Israeli-Palestinian relations. So is someone like that, do you view him as like an ally or a champion of your causes in the Knesset and kind of someone who's super important because he's actually, he's been the only one in, in the past government that was kind of there fighting for uh, these these secular reforms. How would, how do you balance that? As so an organization? That, that, no, so it's a great question. I think that first of all, as an organization that focuses on specific issues, we need to create as broad as an alliance as, as possible because this is our work and our vision. 
I think that you stated it very correctly. I think Lieberman also by himself will not view himself or his policies as anything close to liberal mm-hmm. on a bunch of other issues. But I think that as we're trying to create changes on different spectrums, you sometimes need to create very, I would say, bizarre coalitions. And I don't think that we're in a situation in which we can say, and I also think that that's a very bad thing that liberal politicians tend to do, that if I like, if there's someone I don't agree with a hundred percent, then I'm, I will never sit at the same table. And then it's a very nice thing because eventually you're sitting alone, but yeah. you have the entire table. For I don't yourself. know if you watched Eretz Nederet last night, Israel's Saturday Night Live, but they had uh, Stav Shafir and Avigdor Lieberman as, as roommates okay. in the I, same I, room. And so it's very, it's, it's I, funny I, that you mentioned that. I, I haven't seen that, but I will try. And I'm, I'm sure both of them weren't very happy with the scene that you just <laughs> described. But yeah, I, I think that, again, there are very... When you're working on political changes, you find yourself sitting in very, very strange rooms sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's fine. I don't think that I need to agree with everything Lieberman says, or I personally don't agree with the majority of his opinions. I think some of them are, are extremely dangerous. But on those issues, as someone who runs an organization that has a mission statement, and it is my job to make that reality, mm-hmm. I need to create the bigger coalition, the, the biggest coalition that I can find. Of course. And we're still talking about issues that are much more, I mean, you'll maybe have a few MKs in the Likud that support these things. But for the most part, they're issues that are embraced by the Israeli left and the Israeli center from uh, the Meretz, Labor, and, and Blue and White being the three main parties. So one issue I want to ask is just if we look at the results of the last election, it's very hard for them to kind of form a coalition that doesn't involve the ultra-Orthodox. Either it's a unity government, and that's one thing, but I mean, that seems like unlikely. It seems like they, need, they really need the ultra-Orthodox, and you've heard like Benny Gantz talking a lot about that. So... How, on one hand, if these parties, I mean, they let's say they want to make moves in the Israeli-Palestinian arena towards a two-state solution, talking about policies that are that the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox, they don't really care about. They're not going to wage a war over whether we give back a settlement deep in the West Bank, but they will wage war over uh, conversion, and I think it was uh, the head of who said like being a reformed Jew is like worse than like he doesn't care yeah, something. Yeah. When, when a reformed Jew enters the Knesset or a conservative Jew enter the Knesset discussion, they will get out and leave. They will not sit in the same room. They physically won't sit in the same room. Exactly. So, I mean, so how do you balance that? Is it, do, do you make a partnership with the ultra Orthodox and then try to solve the Palestinian issue? And then you deal with, the issues of religion and state, do you do it the other way around? Like, what's the way around? So I'll start by saying that I think that there is a basic assumption we need to say. One, that personally, I do not believe in in excluding the ultra-Orthodox government. I I think that that's just, I don't believe in excluding like a huge part of the community here, either ultra-Orthodox, by the way, or Arabs. I think that you shouldn't try and build a coalition in which like a huge group of the Israeli society is not represented just because they are a community. 
that's not like the way I see politics. I think that also what is probably the most fundamental thing that we need to change in the way our political system views our issues is that it's very easy for all parties to sort of put the entire responsibility for not promoting those issues on the ultra-orthodox and religious parties. That's also an important thing to note. There is pretty much zero difference of opinions between the ultra-orthodox parties and the national religious parties. They're all aligned in a super conservative point of view on those issues. And I say that because you will not find a single issue, not in Israeli politics, but also not in American politics, in politics around the world, in which you have a party that was chosen by a public that in every polling that we conducted or saw, you see that blue and white voters support our issues somewhere around 90%. So you vote for a party and you hope that they will represent your point of view. And then they'll tell you, yeah, but we wanted to represent you, but we were stopped by like another party. So that's just not how politics work. And I, I think that when someone is voting for the Democratic Party in the States, they are hoping that their party will perform upon the agenda that they were voted in for. And you will not accept the fact that they will tell you, listen, we wanted to do that, but we couldn't because the Republicans. So if I wouldn't, if I would have liked to be represented by the ultra-Orthodox parties, I would vote for an ultra-Orthodox party. So I think that overall, it's pretty amazing. And I think that that's the biggest change that we need to make to our political approach. The ultra-Orthodox and religious parties represent a very small minority of Israelis. Good for them. Mm -hmm. They represent the, the Republic. I have zero expectations from them to promote my policies. I have 100% expectations from the parties who represent the majority of Israelis, may them be blue and white or Likud, by the way. Mm -hmm. You see a majority of Likud voters supporting pretty much everything that we support. So I think that that's sort of the basic notion. And around coalition, I think that you need to assume that everything's negotiable. And I think that you need, again, saying sort of from the point of who's actually responsible for promoting those policies. I think that it's fine that the ultra-Orthodox parties have their own views. But as, by the way, we saw in the, re in the latest crisis around the draft bill, eventually they accepted. They said kicking and screaming, etc. But at the end of the day, they were saying, if Lieberman's in, we're in. And that was apparently also like at a point in which it was too late. But throughout the years, when they would, when they want to be pragmatic and when they decide that it's the right thing to do, they can be extremely pragmatic. And that's, by the way, is very different than the extreme national religious parties, which we are now seeing campaigning against the LGBTQ community, etc., which are issues that the train has left the station here in Israel. LGBTQ community is super accepted, super liked. And you, by the way, don't see any like ultra-Orthodox people. Later today, I, I will be in the Jerusalem Pride Parade. So I'm going there with my family. That was my first time taking my, my daughter to a, to a rally when she was three months old. And we're going ever since. So I won't see like an ultra-Orthodox demonstration. There will be a very small 
and vocal national religious demonstration, which is, is painful to see. But I think that when we're talking about building coalition, everyone needs to be willing to give something in and to take something out. And I think that blue and white or whoever else tries to form a coalition from the center left will negotiate. I just think that they need to come to the table with the notion that you can negotiate with the ultra-orthodox and they will negotiate and they have negotiated in the past. So that's how I see it. And the extremists that are going to be protesting at the, at the Pride Parade in Jerusalem later today, they're allies of Netanyahu. These are mostly people part of the United Right Wing Party list, the Jewish strength component, but also the, the mainstream component of it uh, with Smotrich and Rafi Peretz. Not, not to the same activist extent, but super extreme. And that goes into kind of how Netanyahu fits into this because he had a crisis of his own when celebrating Yom Yerushalayim in Jerusalem Day. I think it was last was it last last week or a few days no, ago. A few days ago. A few days ago. A few days ago, he spoke at Mekazarav Yeshiva in Jerusalem. And also at that same event, Smotrich, Betel Smotrich, spoke as well. And I'm obviously Mirkazarav Yeshiva is kind of like a symbol of the national religious Judaism and where everything kind of, where ideas are discussed, a very important place. And there Smotrich said that Israel will be governed as in the days of King David and King Solomon. Right. This is the guy who, who says that Netanyahu promised him to be the next minister of justice. His, uh, his counterpart, uh, Rafi Peretz, will be the next minister of education. So afterwards, there was, I mean, there was uproar, even in the Likud, it caused Netanyahu to tweet uh, something that Lieberman has been saying all along, that Israel won't be a Medinat Alakha, like a, a state of, of Jewish law. Uh, it will be a Jewish state, but it won't be a state of Jewish law. So maybe let's talk about, and this also ties in nicely to what you were saying about how there's no real difference on beliefs between the extreme right-wing national religious parties and the ultra-Orthodox parties. How would you say that, how does Netanyahu, like, will this cause Netanyahu to go in a direction that's more towards secular issues and maybe try to, like, break off from this alliance that he's kind of built between the right-wing parties and also in order to make sure that they'll get into the Knesset? Or will he double down and, I mean, we saw almost 300,000 votes of the Israeli right not get into the Knesset. Will he double down and try to get all those more extreme right-wing parties, Moshe Feiglin, Zeud, Naftali Bennett's new right, to all get together and that he doesn't care because of all his legal troubles. Like, what's your take? So I think that you just said the most important thing. Um, Netanyahu will do everything to get get out of jail free card, and that would govern his politics and has governed his politics ever since his criminal issues became a super prominent threat. Netanyahu himself is not a religious person. Netanyahu himself does not eat kosher. And we can also mention that Netanyahu married a woman who converted to a conservative conversion. That was his first, his his first second, wife. Second, I think, I think okay, his second, yeah, second wife. wife. Second wife. Yeah. I think his second one. Second and Netanyahu himself, he's a secular person. And with that being said, he is tied to the most extreme forces in our politics. That is extremely, extremely dangerous. But he also knows, as we are as we are discussing again in an election cycle, that those issues are extremely unpopular in the Israeli society. And I think we need, by the way, 
to say and to be very clear about the fact that Smotrich is walking the walk and talking the talk. He actually believes those statements. He's not just trying to provocate. And good for him, by the way. I think that it's also safe to say that the left would have been very, I would say, lucky to have most, more Smotriches on our side. People who are actually, belie- they believe in something and they will go to the entire extent in order for that to become a reality. With that being said, Netanyahu understands that that is a real political threat. And Netanyahu knows that what Smotrich represents is a small extremist majority, which, as you say, is tied to the most racist, dangerous, Kahanist fractions that exist in our society, as unfortunately probably in every society. And Netanyahu has, I think, a very, very significant role in mainstreaming those people lately, making them both a reliable ally for him and a key component to every government that he will form if he will win the next elections. And unfortunately, what we see now, I can't say that I believe it means that Netanyahu will actually break away from the small churches of the world. I think that it means that Netanyahu understands that this is horrific for his campaign. The entire term of Medinat Alakha and Halachic state, a state of, of Jewish law, coming back to a very prominent point in the Israeli discourse is devastating for, for the right and the extreme right. And, and for Netanyahu, whose voters are not extremists, are not people who would like anywhere close to a Jewish law state. So he's sort of caught in between his own huge political criminal issues, his desire to form the next coalition and to create a lot of changes in the Israeli judicial system. And this is how we get to a point in which I think something that is not even like our Tea Party, it's, it's a way, it's another step to the right of, of the Tea Party, are becoming relevant, although they don't really carry a lot of political weight, they don't get a lot of political support, and represent a very small fraction of a minority of national religious voters. But Netanyahu is mainstreaming them, and it's our work, I think, to make sure that we keep the structure of our politics as such as not allowing very extreme segments of the coalition assuming extremely powerful positions. So I think, yeah, and I think it's also important to, to mention that these extreme parties, they don't, I mean, the Israeli like, judicial system is like has no importance to them. They want to reform it. So they have, Netanyahu has the choice between going with these people who really will pass immunity laws. I mean, Smotrich was talking louder than anyone else about how he was going to pass the immunity laws, not out of love to Netanyahu, but to give him the power to advance what he's trying to do. And we heard what he's trying to do. But on the other hand, we'll have to see whether the Likud voters who agree with all these secular things and support them, whether that will be enough for them to change their mind about Netanyahu. Because I think Netanyahu's calculation is, look, I made this allegiance with them in the last election. I was criticized by Blue and White, Gans for Smotrich, Ben Gvir for making alliances with these extreme rights. And I got 35 seats in the Knesset, which is more than the most the Likud had got under Netanyahu and in the past, I think, two decades. 
So, I mean, I think with the legal troubles, this calculation will probably be to just double down, as you said. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, the thing is that he's trying to really create a distance between him and the Smotriches. But with that being said, that distance will be gapped the second he will win the elections, if he wins the elections. So it's not... He will do everything in his power to stay out of jail. And they are very reliable allies for that. And the Israeli society will be put on the line when those people try to promote the agendas that we so deeply oppose. And the thing is that I think we haven't seen Netanyahu react the way he reacted to anything in, I think, recent months. Again, mainly because he understands that that hurts his base, that his voters are not there, and that you cannot expect them to actually understand and to agree to pay a price for his legal issues. And I think that there, we will continue, I believe, to see that. We will continue to see him trying to distance himself from the extreme right wing. But you can safely assume that that will end the second we will be after this election. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I unfortunately agree with you there. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch a bit more on minority groups in Israel. And you spoke about how with civil marriage, it's like a similar struggle but between different, uh, obviously, in Judaism, but also minority groups, because every wedding has to be done through a religious ceremony. Do you guys, do you work with Arab communities? Are these issues, like, important to them? I mean, obviously, they, I mean, they don't have, like, some of these issues aren't, don't really relate, but some do. Obviously, Israeli Arabs are Palestinian citizens of Israel. They had a very low turnout in last elections. Does your polling, do, do you poll them? Do they care? Can they get more involved? So, What's your so I think we need, again, very, very broadly speaking, our sort of coalition of groups goes from people who have like traditional views, secular views, LGBTQ community, Russian-speaking community, which we didn't really touch a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but they're obviously a very secular... Like, extremely secular community. and very, very big and the most affected community by religion and state issues, as we have 400,000 Russian-speaking Israelis who are not recognized as Jews here, which is the biggest group by every definition. As far as Palestinian citizens of Israel, Arab Israelis, first of all, on those issues, they generally speaking, tend to be more conservative. And I also think that we need to reach out more, but that the change will come from within the society. I I don't think that a Jewish organization (laughs) with the stars of David on his logo will be the one driving the change. And I think that there are very strong, optimistic, successful powers who are leading the, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, people who share at least some of our views. And I think that they will be the ones who are actually leading the change within their community. So that's an important thing. I, I don't think that our issues would be the one changing voting trends in, in the Arab society. I, I, More and, issues of equality so between... Issues the, of equality. I think that the reformation of the joint list will mm-hmm. be important. And I know that it's already in the making mm-hmm. and, and happening as we speak. But I also want to say... Again, before we wrap up, I think that there are there is a huge and growing group of American Jews, as you know better than I do, who are deeply worried 
about issues of religion and state here. Some of those communities are investing in change here, which is a recent trend. You see both like Jewish federations and private foundations who are investing on a yearly basis in, in a campaign to actually change the way Israelis see issues like freedom of marriage through a project of JFNA called IRAP. And also, I think that by large, you see more and more and more cooperation between Israelis and American Jewish institutions, foundations, and just people who are involved. I think that that's, that's super exciting from our point to see that and to see that we are able to form this alliance. And it creates change and, and also, I believe, will benefit both sides going forward. And I also think that as we're looking at this, as we are now talking around the elections, but this is a very, very long ball game. And as I see people in the States putting up an extremely uphill battle against people pushing no restrictions over guns, etc. And a lot of the issues that are very, very, very prominent now in the American discourse and the American Jewish discourse, um, we also have a long way to go. And we're here for the long run. So although we would like to see change in the next Knesset, we also believe that we will probably need to keep up the grassroots work and the changes from the bottom up leading the next few years. We are ready for that. And I really think that this is a moment of clarity on, on those issues as we now see that anyone who's trying to promote and who's actually saying that they believe a much more extreme agenda is being sort of pushed away um, and, and marginalized even by the right. So I think that's a hopeful, it, it helps us become like more aware of, of the successes that exist in this field. Well, these days we're all looking for hope, so... Thank you for that. And Rika Dara from Israel Khofshit, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for thank having you for me. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you. you.